0: Elisha took the coat that had fallen from Elijah and hit the water, and he said, Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? From the book of 2 Kings, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. As I looked across all of the powerful passages that I could have chosen to preach from today, this Old Testament story... Stood out to me, it spoke out to me. I love preaching from the Old Testament. I love its strangeness, its earthiness. I love the ways it calls me to imagine the gospel anew. I hope you know the gospel begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, not Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And when I was sitting with this passage of this story, I couldn't help but think about what I think is a great song by Rich Mullins. For those of you who know Father Ryan, uh, he just had, they, he and Christy, they just had their, their fourth child, and their middle name is, is Mullins after Rich Mullins. And Rich Mullins has this great song that I love, and it says, When I go, I want to go out like Elijah. When I go, I want to go out like Elijah with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. What a great thought. Who doesn't want to go out like Elijah? I've thought about asking Catherine if the pallbearers could carry me out of the church to that one when it's my time to go. But I would like to modify that statement just slightly today. When I go, indeed, I want to go out like Elijah. Yet while I live... I want to look up like Elisha. While I live, I want to look up like Elisha. What do I mean? Why would I say that? Well, let's get into this story. Let's let's get into all that precedes this moment in the narrative we find ourselves in today. Who are Elijah and Elisha? Well, they are prophets of the Lord. Well, who are the prophets? Why are there prophets? There are many reasons that God sends prophets, but most often, most notably, He sends them to kings, to those in power, because they are not attuned to the will of God, particularly to kings of Israel and Judah. If you read about all the narratives of the kings which begin in the book of 1 Samuel, you'll find that even David, even that greatest of kings, even that man who was called one after God's own heart, even he required the presence of prophets in his life. Specifically, when he took advantage of and sexually abused Bathsheba and set about for the murder of her husband Uriah to take place. And Nathan the prophet comes into the courts of David and he calls him to account and he calls him out. And then we see in 1 Kings 17, Elijah the prophet appearing out of nowhere onto the stage of Israel's story to do just that for another king, King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel. Jezebel and Ahab have gone about throughout the land of Israel, setting up altars to the false god Baal. The God they call the God of the high places. So they've they've allowed, or they themselves have set up all of these altars across the high places in Israel's land. And so Elijah bursts onto the scene. And he tells Ahab and he tells Jezebel not to look for rain, certainly not to look for it from Baal because he is a false god. And even though he is in the high places, he has no power to send the rain because he doesn't even exist. He says, also do not look to it from Yahweh for he will not send it. See, Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh and that is his mission. His message, he embodies it in his very name. And until that sentence is said by Ahab and every person in the land of Israel, his mission will not be accomplished. My God is Yahweh. And so he says, don't even look for the dew, for the drought is coming. In fact, it's already here. This isn't like in the Joseph story, which we find in the latter chapters of Genesis, where there's actually a time of preparation where Pharaoh and Egypt are allowed to prepare for this coming drought. No, this is beginning as soon as Elijah has spoken the words. And after he tells Ahab this, he flees. He flees to a foreign land, and he takes up residence with a widowed woman and her sickly son. And through Elijah, God performs the mundane miracle if there is such a thing of sustaining the food supply of these three people. And then later, when the widow's son suddenly dies, Elijah places his own body on top of the boys and he resurrects him. He literally gives his own life to the boy, prefiguring the God who not only sustains us, but will bring us back, will bring his people back out of the land of death and will leverage his own life to do so. After this, after three years of living in exile, Elijah leaves and he returns to Israel and he returns for a showdown. It's high noon in the land of God's people. And Elijah calls out to the Baal worshipers who believe their God owns the high places and he says, fine, meet me atop Mount Carmel. I'll see you there, you so-called God worshipers of God of the high places. And he says, call Ahab. Call all the witnesses of Israel together. They need to see this. And it's one man against 450. Seems like he's outmatched. But Elijah knows that it's actually his competitors that are at a great disadvantage. Because he knows that their God is a false God, a no God, and a... He turns out to be a no-show. And Yahweh shows up in a mighty and majestic way. And Elijah rids the land of the prophets of Baal, the priests of Baal. And he replaces on the lips of the majority of people, My God is Yahweh, that great synod in his name. But of course, this doesn't go well for him. Jezebel is enraged. And somehow this man, who was able to stand against 450 prophets, fears the wrath of the queen. And so he runs. He heads for the hills. He heads for the hill of Horeb, Mount Horeb. He runs from one mountain to another. And there we get a glimpse of the lonely life of the prophet. Perhaps he had found some friendship for a time with a widow and her son, even been a surrogate father in a way. But now he is alone. What a great privilege to stand as one man against 450 prophets of a false god. What a great weight. What a great responsibility. And it is there at Horeb that Elijah learns... One of the most important things we can learn in the stories of the scripture, God who does show up in those big ways like he did on Carmel, like he will when he takes Elijah up in the chariot, that same God also shows up in still, small voices, perhaps even prefers to do so. For though he can shake the earth in tremors and though he can send fire from heaven, Elijah encounters him there, and none of these, but in the quiet whisper, am I alone, God? And he listens and he hears, and when he hears that voice, he takes his cloak, and he covers his face. What a lovely and a fearsome thing to recognize that the resplendent reality of God's great glorious presence rests hidden. All around us. How wonderful, how awful to recognize that we stride past sacramental, still small voices daily. How great to know that in God we live and move and have our being. How awesome to know that we are never truly alone. And yet God, our God, knows our needs. He knows our need for encouragement, for friendship, for a face to look upon, for hands to feel upon our back and encouragement, for feet to walk along, ours on mission. And so, after Horeb, immediately after Horeb, God sends Elijah out and he finds Elisha working a field of oxen. He must be a wealthy young man based on the amount of property he is seen to be in possession of and authority over. He must be pretty well off. And Elijah comes up to the boy, and he places his cloak on his back. This is a moment of potential identity markation. I don't know if anyone still does this. I haven't been to high school in a long time. Uh, but especially you think in those movies in the 50s and 60s, the way you know the girl who's dating the quarterback is that she's wearing his letterman jackets. She says, I go with him. And of course, he is identified with her as well this is a moment of potential identity markation come with me Elijah seems to be saying forget this work of your father's land come and take up my work come and leave behind all you know and Elisha hesitates and says let me first go back and say goodbye to my parents let me first go back and say goodbye to them and Elijah's words are striking he says to the boy he's not mad He doesn't seem to be angry. He says, go back. What have I done to you? Go back. What have I done to you? Why would I make you a man like myself? Why would I lull you into this lonely life and this lonely calling? And he goes on. But Elisha doesn't return to his parents. The story doesn't tell us he does. It says that he sacrifices all the oxen there. He makes a sacrifice and a great feast. And he feasts with his friends and he prays with his friends there, he burns his ships, he leaves himself no safe harbor to return to, and he goes and chases the old prophet, and he finds him, and he places himself under his tutelage. And for years, he watches this prophet pick fights. He watches this man of God perform many miracles. He befriends the lonely old man. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but in the passage we read, Elisha is given three opportunities, three chances to deny his friendship with Elijah. Stay here, no. Stay here, no. Stay here, no. He goes with him. He travels on, and Elijah parts the river. And then they're standing there, and Elijah says at last, okay, what do you want? What do you want? And I don't think he's being cynical here. I think he's asking, as many people do when they get near the end of their time on earth, and they want to think about what they're going to do for the people around them. What can they do for them? And that question, what do you want? There's another question lying hidden beneath the surface there. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? How can I bless you, but also maybe hidden in there somewhere, should I release you? Should I let you go? Should I let you out of this agreement? We can break the bond here. We can can put an end to it. You can be freed from this fellowship. I'm going on. You can be released. Elisha literally doubles down. No. No, Elijah. I want a double portion of your spirit. I want that good work that began that day you placed your cloak on my back to be brought to full completion. I want to be like you, but even more. I want to take the foundation that you have laid and I want to build on it. It's what every parent, every teacher wants to hear. I want to take what you have done and I want to grow it. I want your life to be multiplied in me. And Elijah says, All right, all right, don't take your eyes off of me. And in that moment, the fire and the fury arise in its fullness. And the two men are separated. And Elijah is, is lifted up and he's taken out. He's taken up into heaven. And as he's flying away on that great chariot of fire, Elisha cries out to him, and did you hear what he said? My father. My father. Closer than a friend. A deeper bond than any brother. My father. Can you picture the face of that lonely old man as he's lifted off into heaven. These being the last words he hears. My father. And there's Elisha. There's Elisha on the banks of the Jordan River. A son in whom his father is well pleased. I can picture Elijah there. Elisha there, his father. On his knees at all that glory now departed. All that great commotion now suddenly gone. The still small voice, the stream of water beside him is all he hears. And he takes up that cloak. And he looks at it. And he asks the only real question most of us want the answer to. Am I alone? Am I alone now? Except he asks it this way. Where now is the God of Elijah? And he strikes the water. And it parts before him. And without speaking a word, God says to Elisha, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm with you. And I will not leave you. I will never forsake you. And Elisha stands and places the cloak on his back. And he heads across the Jordan River to begin his mission in earnest. And what is his mission? It is to proclaim his name, just as it was for Elijah. For Elijah means, My God is Yahweh. And the name of Elisha means, My God is salvation. And just as Joshua before him had crossed the Jordan River in the shadow of Moses, Joshua, whose name means salvation, Elisha now moves across the Jordan. But he prefigures and echoes something even greater. For one day another man will stand upon the banks of the Jordan River. And the one who prefigures him, John the Baptist, one who many said was like Elijah, he will not cast a shadow. He will decrease because the one who has come is greater than him. The one who has come is greater than Elijah. And his name is Jesus. Jesus, which means Yeshua. Jesus, which means salvation. And he'll cross that Jordan River and begin his own mission in earnest. And so while I live, I want to look up like Elisha. I want to look up and joy, and great gladness. I want to look up in seasons of difficulty and despair, and I want to shout as Elisha did, my father, my father, be with me. Be with me. Where are you? Are you with me? For one greater than Elisha has come, one who did not just sustain three people's food supply, he fed 5,000. One who didn't need any extra actions to restore the dead from life. He simply spoke a word. One who was not afraid. One who stood up, not just against the kings and the princes, but against the powers and the principalities, against the ruler of the air and the prince of lies, and who defeated all of these soundly. So while we live, let us look up like Elisha. Let us look up and see him there. For if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above, not the things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory and asks for the double portion of the Spirit, that Holy Spirit that not only saves us from sin, but grants us power and authority to be those who live within the kingdom of God, who speak words of life, who enact gospel mission. The double portion of the Spirit is not merely the double cure for sin, though it is certainly that. Let us be those who seek the face of God, Let us look up like Elisha. And I pray you would. I pray you would feel his hands. I pray you would feel his cloak upon your backs, you mighty priests of God. I pray that you would know he walks in lockstep with you. And I pray that you would find him in the quiet places. As a still, small, sustaining voice that whispers in your ear, you are not alone, for I am with you. And I I hope he sends you friends. I do. I do. But what a friend we have in Jesus. What certainty and surety we have in the spirit which he has sent us. What a high and holy calling we have from God the Father Almighty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.